sharing our faith and passion for the Lord Jesus Christ with others is a desire of Zion Christian Fellowship. Our prayer is that this message will have a lasting impact on your life and draw you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. This message is not copyrighted. You are free to make copies for friends and neighbors. We only ask that you copy it in its entirety without alterations or changes. Now unto the King Eternal, Immortal, Invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be back. We enjoyed going, but it's good to be back and to see the home folks, especially some people that we haven't seen for a long time. Elvin and Rachel, it's good to see you here. I think Pete's were gone for a long time, too, before we left, even. Yeah, it's very good to be here. As I was sitting here, I was thinking of the difference in the church buildings that we met in last Sunday compared to this Sunday. That was pretty much an open-air affair. had a tin roof, and uh, I don't know, did it have shutters on the windows? There was no screens. I think the windows were maybe non-existent, just holes there. And the doors were wide open, and even the dogs go to church there. (laughs) But we were able to worship the Lord and felt at home there as well as here. This morning, I want to start out by reading Psalms 27. So if you could turn there and read with me. It's a very familiar song and one that we sometimes sing. Psalms 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came upon me to eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple." For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. And now shall mine head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle sacrifices of joy. I will sing, yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. These first verses were... um, David was declaring the greatness and the goodness of God. He was just showing out the confidence that he had in God. But then in verse 7, it changes a little bit, and it seems like now he is asking God for help. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidst, Seek my face, my heart said within thee, Thy face, Lord, will I seek. Hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help. Leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. Teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. And then the next couple verses, it seems like it turns even more, even worse. He's telling God how bad things are for him. Deliver me not over unto the 
will of mine enemies. For false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Things are getting pretty bad. He said he would. He was almost fainting. And what happens when a person faints? They fall over. All of a sudden, everything that is normally supporting them gives way, and they just fall over like they're dead. Kind of like those little toys that are held up by a rubber band, and you push on the bottom, you know, and the horse just falls over. He had almost fainted. But then verse 14 comes along, and it seems like that's all of a sudden he realizes that this is what he needs to do. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Even though he was going through difficulties that he couldn't understand, he was encouraging himself in the Lord and saying, well, let's just wait. God is in control. I know he is. He's a great God, and he's going to take care of this. And that's what I'd like to focus on this morning is waiting on the Lord. What does that mean to wait on the Lord? Does that mean that God is slow? He's just kind of behind. We can run ahead of him, do things way faster, but we're supposed to wait till he catches up. Or is God late? Maybe God shows up late, we think. <clears throat> now, sometimes people are late because of a lack of interest. Is God not interested in us, maybe? And that's why he's late. That's why we need to wait on him. No, God is not slow. And he is never late. But he has a different clock that he goes by. His clock is way different. In 2 Peter 3.8, it says, But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. In the last days, people will be tired of waiting for his return. That's what he's, the passage that this was taken out of was, People were saying, everything's going on just like before. Nothing's changing. I don't think God's going to come back again. But God doesn't go by our timetable. It's clear different. And another thing that God has a vastly different perspective on our life. Because in Isaiah 55, 9, it says, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. How much higher is heaven than the earth? Well, there's no limit to how high heaven is compared to us. So he can see our lives from beginning to end. He knows exactly what's going on and what will happen. So he has a vastly different perspective. And that's why it seems like God is not sometimes not coming through like we think he should. I wonder how many people here like to wait. Is that something we enjoy doing? We like to sit down and wait and nothing's happening and we don't know when it will happen. No, we don't really like that. We want things now and the now are the better. We want things to happen. If we look back at the last 200 years maybe, it seems like people have done an awful lot to avoid waiting. They've been figuring out a lot of ways to do to make it so we don't have to wait. They came up with a telegraph so we don't have to wait on letters. You know, it goes through a wire and it happens fast. And they came up with trains 
that we don't have to go by wagon anymore, and telephones, cars, and then planes, and now the internet. Everything is just faster, faster. I was thinking of how long would it take to travel to Belize before there was cars or trains or anything, wagon and horse and wagon, probably take close to a year to go down there, and we do it in one day. We don't like to wait. Things are happening faster. And I don't know if Daniel prophesied about this or not, but it almost seems like it. In Daniel 12.4, it says, But thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. Surely people are running to and fro way faster than they did. We don't like to wait. And I think that probably affects our ability to wait on God because things are happening so much faster. But God wants us to learn to wait on him. And it's something we need to learn. It's not natural within us. Waiting takes patience. And patience is something that we can always use a little more of, I think. It's never in excessive abundance. We can always use a little more patience. And as we wait, we learn patience. And the opposite, then, is impatience. What does that come from? It comes from an unwillingness to wait. Either we're not willing to wait on somebody to show up, somebody or something to show up, or unwilling to wait on the performance of a person or an animal or situations to meet up to our expectations. We want it now, and if it's not there, we get impatient. So patience is pretty important. If we are impatient with things around us, is that an indication of being impatient with God and not waiting on God? Can we truly be waiting on God and be impatient with things around us? I think it's a, there's a connection there. <clears throat> In James 1, 2-4, it says, My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. That lifts up the importance of patience. And it says, the trying of our faith worketh patience. So let's let patience have its work in our hearts so that we can wait on God. Another thing about waiting is that we aren't in control when we're waiting. We have to sit there and hold still and things aren't happening. We can't make them happen because we're just waiting. And we don't like to not be in control. We like to make things happen. And that happens from little up. Even babies don't like to wait. They soon vocalize their displeasure at not having their needs fulfilled. They want breakfast and they want it now. doesn't matter if it's at 3 o'clock in the morning. <clears throat> so even from little up, we have a problem waiting and not being in control. James... 4, 13 to 15, I think, says, Go to now, ye that say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such a city, and continue there a year, and buy and sell and get gain. 
Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time, and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. As I was thinking about this, you know, there's a lot of things that we can do in our daily life that we don't really need to stop and consider God's will in the matter because we have, in our work, we can just do things. But I think it's important for us to always take time to consider, what does God think about this? Wait on what God would say about this. Some of the big decisions, we have a tendency to do that. But in our daily life, even, like here it said, we're going to go do this and that. We're going to go to a city and buy and sell and get gain. And but it says, you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. Make a conscious effort of, to wait on God and allow him to guide us. Waiting also increases the value of what we are waiting for. If a child always gets whatever he wants, the latest and the greatest toys, right when he wants it, he'll have a room full of toys that are broken and unused. They're just pretty worthless because he can have whatever he wants. But if he is made to wait for his desire, made to wait for what he wants, it's far more precious to him. He'll take care of it. And we are a lot like children before God, aren't we? If he gives us whatever we want right away, we would become um, so used to it. It's kind of like the children of Israel when they had manna. They had manna every day, and after a while they said, Ah, we're tired of this stuff. James 5.7 says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and the latter rain. The farmer has to wait till the time of harvest to get any results from his labors. And that makes it more valuable. If we would be able to plant one day and a week later harvest, you know, that might be good one time, but pretty soon there'd be so much stuff around that it would be worthless. <clears throat> but it's the fact that we have to wait for it that makes it more valuable. Now I have some examples of people that did not wait on God and some of the resulting problems. First one is about Abraham in Genesis 17:15. And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her shall her name be. And I will bless her and give thee a son also of her. Yea, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is an hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham said unto God, O that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant, and with his seed after him. I'm sure we all know the story how that uh, 
Sarah got tired of waiting too, and so she gave Hagar to Abraham for a wife to raise up a son, and his name was Ishmael. Even Abraham, who was a man of faith, got tired of waiting on God's promises. Notice what he said when back to God, he said, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. Why don't you just take Ishmael? I just, I'm tired of waiting on this promise. I've been waiting it, waiting for almost 25 years and nothing is happening. Just take Ishmael. I'm tired of waiting. But God said again, no, it's not going to be Ishmael. It's going to be from Sarah, your wife, that you're going to have a son. <clears throat> and about a year later, they had a son. Well, that was a mistake that Abraham made in not waiting on God. And Ishmael's descendants and Abraham's and Isaac's descendants are still fighting to this day. What serious consequences that was. <clears throat> the next one was in Exodus. The children of Israel did not wait on God. Exodus 32, 1 to... I don't know how many verses. (laughs) And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods which shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we wot not what is become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. And all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. And they said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Moses had gone up on this mountain, the Mount Sinai, and the people saw him go up, but this mountain was shaking it was smoking, it was burning, and he went right up on the top to the top of the mountain. And they hadn't seen him for about 40 days. So they got tired of waiting. They thought, surely he's probably not even alive anymore. Who can live on a mountain like that? And notice what they said. I wonder if there was more involved than just the fact that he was gone for 40 days. It says... Um, as for, the, for as this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, just kind of like, who is this guy anyway? We don't need to listen to him. He might be gone. I don't know for sure why they felt that way, but it seemed like they were distancing themselves from Moses. And part of it was because they were waiting for 40 days, didn't have anything to do. Moses wasn't there to listen to or to talk to him. And so they said, let's do something. We want to be in control of our destiny. So they made the golden calf and said, These be thy gods which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Not waiting on God, and God brought great punishment on them. The next one was uh, Saul in Samuel 13.8. They were threatening to have a battle with the Philistines and the Philistines had a great number of people and there weren't many people with Saul and they were getting afraid and Saul was waiting on Samuel to show up 
And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash. Therefore said I, The Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication unto the Lord. I forced myself therefore and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. Fear was what overcame Saul, and he could not afford to wait, he didn't think. He needed to do something. He needed to be in control. He took things into his own hands. And it almost seems like the punishment that Saul had was more than was necessary for just not waiting on God one time. But God knew Saul's heart, and Saul never did wait on God after that. We see time and time again that Saul just went ahead and did what he wanted without waiting on God. So there again was serious consequences. He lost the kingdom because he didn't wait on God. Now we'll have a few examples of people that did wait on God. First one was David at uh, the time when they were lived at Ziklag. 1 Samuel 30, verse 4. Then David and the people that were with him Maybe I should explain a little bit before we start in there. David and his army were um, with the Philistines and were going to fight with the Philistines. And then the Philistines turned against him and said, You've got to go back home. We can't afford to have you here. We don't trust you. So they were kicked out of the army, which didn't feel very good. They were tired from walking three days back to Ziklag. Then they came to their homes and found them burned to the ground. All their possessions were burned. They were gone. Their families were kidnapped. And David's life was in danger. Now let's read this. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. And David's two wives were taken captives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the wife of Nabal the Carmelite. And David was greatly distressed. For the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved. For every man had his sons and his daughters, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David waited on God. He made a conscious choice there to not be distraught, to not give up in despair, but to wait on God even though it seemed like everything was against him. 
what an example David gave to us. And then the next example was also about David. In 1 Samuel 26, verse 8, David and one of his other men, or two of his other men, had snuck down to where Saul was. And Saul was sleeping. Then said Abishai to David, God hath delivered thine enemy into thine hand this day. Now therefore let me smite him, I pray thee, with the spear, even to the earth at once, and I will not smite him the second time. And David said unto Abishai, Destroy him not, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed, and be guiltless? David said furthermore, As the Lord liveth, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth mine hand against the Lord's anointed. But I pray thee, take now the spear that is at his bolster and the cruise of water, and let us go. What an excellent example of waiting on the Lord. Because Saul was out to kill David. I mean, this would be a fair battle, wouldn't it? If David would now have a chance that he would kill Saul. That's the way they did in the Old Testament. But David said, no, this is the Lord's anointed. I will wait on God to take care of him. And God will take care of him. Someday he's going to die. He might go into battle. He might, whatever. God's going to take care of him. And I'm going to wait on God to do that. And later on when... Saul did die, and somebody came to bring the news to David, thought he was bringing good news that uh, David even killed that man for being so excited that that Saul had died. He did not want to have anything to do with getting rid of Saul. And as we read the rest of David's life, it seems like that was his manner of life, waiting on the Lord time after time. When there was bad situations, he would wait on God. I think he knew what that was like. So how does it go when we wait on God? Does that mean we're sitting around doing nothing? We're just sitting around waiting for God to do something? I don't think so. In Romans 12, 19 to 21, it says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. See, we need to wait on God to take care of our problems, our difficulties. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. When someone mistreats us, it's very difficult not to do a little bit of retaliating. You know, we would never go as far as to do an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That's that's not the way we do in the New Testament. But it's easy to have a little bit of a desire to retaliate. Just a little bit. But I don't think that's what God wants for us. Let God take care of it. But in the meantime... um, Show him kindness. Let God take care of those that mistreat you, but while you wait, show them kindness. Rather than doing evil, do uh, nice things to them. That's the way God wants us to do. Don't just sit around and do nothing. 
but return good for evil. I was thinking of the ones that were kidnapped in Haiti. You know, they had to wait on God, but they didn't just sit around doing nothing. They were busy singing and praying and witnessing to the to those that kidnapped them until God showed them what to do and blessed them with unity and saying, this is the time to leave now. It's time to do something. I just was so blessed with the example that they left for us. Then there's a couple more verses in Psalms that give a certain perspective on waiting. Psalms 37, 7 to 11 says, Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. I suppose most of us can identify with that, looking around to people that don't even claim to be Christians, don't even claim to serve God, and it seems like they are blessed. They have so many things, their businesses go well, and, and they can sue people and get a lot of money and there's no no uh, bad things come of that <clears throat> don't worry about them don't fret yourself because of them because look at the end that they will have thou shalt diligently consider his place and it shall not be but those that wait on the Lord shall inherit the earth and that means waiting because the meek have not inherited the earth yet <clears throat> 